at this time, we'll have uh, Miles come up and read the scripture. All right, I'll be reading from um, Luke 10, 30-37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to, to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the, on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came, um, came where the man was. And when he, saw him, he, when he saw him, he took pity on him, threw it to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he, went, then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God's word shape us for us. Thank you, Miles. What is the difference between you and me? What is the difference between you and me? Uh, we go about our days, go to work, go to school, uh, take care of our families, walk down the sidewalk, uh, go to the local Starbucks coffee shop, uh, drive, spend a lot of time on the street driving in traffic at the intersection. And you look at the people around you and you wonder, what is the difference between you and me, right? Everyone seems to be strangers. If you think about the person right next to you uh, in the car at an intersection, for instance, and you're driving, oftentimes there's the awkwardness of you looking over and the other person looking back at you and there's eye contact. And all of a sudden you're like snapping back, right? It's like, we can't look at each other, right? Somehow I feel like I'm invading you or entering into your space. We can't be like making eye contact. We have to look straight ahead. It's really weird actually. But if you look at scripturally, biblically, and theologically, really, what's the difference between you and me? It's not much. We're actually all a part of the same family. God said, let us make humanity in our image. We're made in the image of God, which means we. We're more alike than we're different. All of us, each of us. Whatever our cultural background, whether, whatever our family upbringing, whatever our experience or religious experience or experience in or out of the church, whatever, whatever our socioeconomic status, our race, our ethnicity, we are all children of God, and that's the truth. So the way that God looks at each of us is, that's my son and that's my daughter. That's the scriptural and theological truth about all of us. We are a part of the same family. The problem is that most of the time, much of the time, we don't feel that way with each other. 
And a lot of the time, we emphasize our differences. Right? We emphasize the gaps or the chasms that lie between me and you. Um, and so I want, I want us to address this as a church. I, and I think as a church, we're called to be a beloved community, a community that's prophetic. And by prophetic, I mean we live in such a different way or we interact and relate to each one another and to the people out there so differently that it makes other people go, what? That's different. That shouldn't happen. Or ask the question, why are you doing this? Um, so on Thursdays, some of, the, some of our people have been out in the parking lot serving coffee at 6 a.m. in the morning. And a lot of the responses are, what? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? One, why are you awake when it's not even light outside this early in the morning? And why would you serve me coffee? Right? Is there something wrong with it? Is there something wrong with the coffee? Why are you doing this? Right? And, and that's the question that I think should be asked of us all the time as a church. Amen? Why are you doing this? Why are you loving me? Why are you reaching out to me? Why are you helping me? Why are you serving me? Why are you even talking to me? Why are you looking at me at the intersection? That's creepy. We want people to ask, why are you behaving in such a manner? You're weird. You're weird. And it's actually weird that people ask that question, right? Because we were meant for community. We were meant for family. We were meant for belonging. We were meant for connecting. Even in this space, I could, I could totally see one person sitting in each pew just naturally lining up that way. Because it's like, oh, it might be awkward. I, I kind of know that person. I kind of don't. Maybe they don't want me to sit next to them. So I'm just going to sit right, right in my own pew. And um, that's totally natural. But why? It's, it's totally unnatural, I should say. Why? Why are we like this? What is the difference, really, between you and me? How far are we from embracing one another as family? If we were to share our deepest hurts and longings with one another, what would that be like? Compassion closes the gap between alienation and isolation, between alienation, isolation, and suffering, and suffering to intimacy, belonging, and mercy. Compassion closes the gap. You have isolation, suffering, and alienation, and you have belonging, intimacy, and mercy, or shalom, an idea in the Bible that means a wholeness, the way things should be, a reconciled people being in harmony and love. Compassion closes that gap. And I think the sickness of our culture and of our communities is a sickness of compassion. That we, well, I shouldn't say we lack compassion. Our compassion, there's, com there's obstacles to us expressing our compassion for one another, for, for, for spanning that gap, closing that gap, for me coming closer to you because we're, 
we're more alike than we're different. So for our passage, let's, let's hit it. So in Jesus' days, people were intensely, strongly tribal. This is my people. That's your people. And my people is, is unique and set apart and different. And your people are different, very tribal. And in Jesus' days, there's a, host, uh, a strong hostility between the Jews that resided in Judah and Galilee and Samaritans. And actually, Samaritans, if you would go back into the history of uh, the Bible, back to the Torah, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, Samaritans and Jews actually shared common ancestry. And Samaritans themselves considered themselves Jewish. Um, but their place of worship, and you can see this in their interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, but they, the Samaritans believed that their center of worship uh, was on Mount Gerizim, while the Jews believed it was in Jerusalem and only in Jerusalem. The Orthodox Jews considered Samaritans not only heretical, but also ceremonially unclean. And then in contrast, the two characters uh, in our story who pass by uh, the man who's hurting, the priest and the Levite, uh, were at the heart. Those roles were at the heart of temple worship in Jerusalem. And then geographically, Jericho Road, this road, that, the 17-mile stretch of road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was up on a hill. And uh, it ran down a steep road. Jericho Road was uh, treacherously steep and went for 15, uh, 17 miles uh, to Jericho. And it was notorious for bandits and robbers to attack travelers and rob them, beat them, um, and whatnot. And so it was a scary road. Jesus is being approached by a lawyer. And back then, a lawyer meant, a person of the law meant someone who was into the scriptures, who really knew and studied the scriptures. And so this lawyer, the passage, the scriptures say that uh, Jesus was approached by lawyers all the time to test him. And they came to test him, test his knowledge of scripture, test his belief system, how he uh, communicated his teaching. And uh, so this lawyer comes up to him. And he, and he says, Jesus, what, is, what must I do to be justified? And Jesus, you know, says, well, you know, tell me. The lawyer says, quotes Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18, which is basically the two greatest commandments, the two great commandments, which is in Deuteronomy uh, six five. It's love your God with all your heart, might, and soul. Love your God, right? And then Leviticus nineteen eighteen is, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Simple. Love God. Love neighbor. Love God with all of your life, all of your passion and heart. And then love your neighbor as you would love yourself. This commandment reminds us of Moses' ten commandments. Right? The two bringing the two tablets. Right? He brings the two tablets and etched on them is the, the Ten Commandments. And if you read the Ten Commandments, you'll see that the first part is people-to-people -people relationship, love your neighbors. 
And then the second part is how you love God. Do not, or I might have that reversed. Is it reversed? Anyways, it's, it's, it's generally split in two, God and neighbor, God and neighbor. And so we're reminded of that in the two great commandments. But it says that the lawyer was still wanting to justify himself and still wanting to justify himself. He asked Jesus a question, right? And he's tricky. He's smart, right? He's clever. He wants. And so he says, all right, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Right? Who, what is the definition of neighbor? And you hear these, you know, when you're in debates, right, with other people, and you're arguing different concepts, arguing different ideas, and someone will go, but define neighbor. What do you mean by neighbor? And I hear this in the Lord's voice, what is a neighbor? And what is at the core of this question? If we see that in Jesus' time, people saw things tribally, right? They saw they thought of themselves uh, as strongly tribal. This is us and, and that's you. What Jesus wants to get at is, actually, in the kingdom of heaven, my, our definition of neighbor is far broader than your definition of neighbor. Right? Your definition of neighbor may be someone who is Jewish, just like you. Someone who worships in the temple, just like you. Someone who dresses the same, eats the same food, has the same type of uh, uh, rituals. And so it's really easy for you to say who's your neighbor if they're just someone in your tribe. But Jesus tells a story that blows those categories out of the water, right? He says, here's a man who is traveling on the road to Jericho, and he's accosted by bandits, and they beat him and steal everything he has, strip him of his clothes, and then leave him for dead, right? They leave him for dead. And along comes a priest. Along comes a priest, sees the man, is like, oh my gosh a bloodied man on the side of the road and moves to the other side of the road and passes by. Secondly, a Levite comes, another person, a central figure of the temple, comes, sees a man on the side of the road, sees the man, he's bloodied, and moves on. The third person is a Samaritan. He sees the man, and what, what happens? It says he has compassion. Compassion is that which closes the gap between suffering and connection and intimacy and healing. When you see, when we see suffering in the world, right, and we draw closer to that suffering, we draw near to that suffering, that's called compassion. Right? We all have experienced compassion. We see suffering and we draw near to it. We want to touch it. We want to do something with that suffering. We want to embrace that person. That's compassion. So, uh, what is this 17 mile stretch of road called the Jericho Road? What is it? 
What does it represent? Just imagine what it symbolizes. This road represents suffering and injustice and oppression and exploitation. These are all the things that happened to this man who was beaten on the side of the road. This road represents anywhere where people are robbed of their self-worth and dignity. He was stripped of his clothes. He was stripped of his belongings. He was stripped of his dignity. He was stripped of his self-worth. Anywhere where there are people who are hurt and bullied and beaten. This road represents anywhere where people are ignored and passed over, even from receiving basic human needs and rights. This road to Jericho represents violence when people are abused or beaten or shot in the streets, when children are exploited. The road uh, are the corner intersections uh, on our streets, in our neighborhoods, and the highway on-ramps where the homeless stand asking for assistance where it's really difficult for us to even make eye contact because of the deep sense of shame, right? Or awkwardness that we feel. It is city life. The Jericho Road is city life. The greater Seattle area where there's so many transplants and people moving in to the city. And you hear people from out of, this, out of Seattle, non-local Seattleites saying, man, it's so hard to break in with the locals. It's so hard to make community, make friends. Or you've even heard the phrase, the Seattle freeze, right? Everyone's friendly, but really, you just, you know, you want to hang out, you want to do things, and people just seem busy or independent, and they got their own thing going. It's really hard to break in. Do you experience that? Do you feel that? Have you been participants in that kind of Seattle freeze? It's the Seattle, the city life, the hustle and bustle. And when everyone's so busy and has somewhere, it seems like they have somewhere to go or something to do, I guess I need to be busy and have somewhere to go and something to do. You know, when I bump into someone I know in the mall, you either like try to avoid them, like I never saw them. You pretend like you didn't see that person because you just don't want to interact, right? You've been there, don't lie. All of you have been like that. Someone from high school, you know, oh, I kind of recognize them, but I'm gonna look down and like pretend and go the opposite direction. Um, or if you're hanging out with the, someone in a group and you're talking, you know, I, my habit is to look at my phone, right? and act like I have something to do because I have nothing to say or I'm afraid to say anything so I want to look busy look like oh oh I gotta go let me take this phone call oh I got this message I'm doing right rather than be like rather than be like they're just being with people right I need to appear like I have something to do so I wanted to go through this list uh nope that's not the list never mind go back um Neighbor is. You know, you've seen those bumper stickers, Jesus is. Neighbor is. Who is my neighbor? What is neighbor? And so I made a little list. 
Neighbor is not just the person in your tribe. Who is your tribe? Who are those not in your tribe? Just think about that. Neighbor is not just those in closest proximity, proximity to you physically or those who are most easily accessible to you. Sometimes you experience your neighbor on the long and steep road. There are many obstacles. The terrain is rough and there's risk in making that connection. In the context of the Bible, the Torah, uh, the Old Testament, and the Pentateuch, uh, we read several times that God's heart for the world um, is about, neighbor is about the immigrant and the refugee, right? You shall love the alien, the stranger in your own land, because you were once strangers yourself. God's heart is for the stranger, the immigrant, and the refugee. The world that has come to our very doorstep here in the States, that is neighbor. Neighbor is the one who is suffering within your purview, within your view, your perspective, and the one who extends a hand to you in, your, in suffering. And it's the person who's extending a hand to help you in your suffering, in your struggles. That's neighbor. Neighbor is the one who comes from a different home upbringing, speaks a different language, was raised within a different culture, was born in a different generation, listens to different music. Your iPod has a different music list. You don't even have an iPod, <laughs> right? Or you say iPod and you're like, that's old school. <laughs> Me saying iPod is like, what's an iPod? Um, compassion closes the gap between alienation, isolation, suffering, and intimacy, belonging, and mercy. Compassion brings those who are far apart closer together. And as, I, as we think about Renew and this church that we're trying to launch here in this neighborhood, in this space, in this building, I see a lot of challenges. There's a lot of challenges. We're new and each of us is so different and we're striving to be intergenerational, for instance, or we're striving to be multi-ethnic, for instance. And it's, it's nice to have that gathered in the room but then to live it out, it gets kind of uncomfortable, right? Or to like draw closer to one another, not just superficially be in the same room or sitting in the same pews, but to draw closer to each other. Like, what's that going to take? And I, from a pastor's perspective, from my pastor's heart, I pray and pray like, what's going to bring the warmth into this room, you know? What's going to make us really like, before each other? What's gonna make us really wanna be family together and to lay our lives down for each other and to serve one another? Because I think the tendency for us, for people in general, is to focus on differences, right? Oh, they don't do things like I do it. 
Right? They eat different kinds of food. Or they raise their children differently than I would raise my children. Or, man, that song, that worship song, I don't know. I'm not used to it, so I don't want to sing it. God is wanting us to be a deeper and deeper community. And my challenge and invitation is to step closer, to draw closer to one another, to be the church. Because if the church is in a place where compassion and unity and reconciliation and neighborness reigns, then the world is in deep trouble, amen? We are a witness, and we read it in the First John passage. The world will know God. This is our witness by our love for one another, right? And if there is a freeze out there, then our hearts need to be ablaze with love and compassion so we can go and be like the care, if you're, this is a generational thing, the care bears, right? The Care Bears had like rainbows and hearts on their chest and they would like Care Bear power and shine it on people. And that's what we need to be like. Compassion and radical neighborliness. We need to go out there and be like Jesus, compassion, neighbor. But this is a hard road. It means going into the ugly spaces and not ignoring it. Do you know what the key to compassion is? The key to compassion is that we know and deeply understand suffering, right? Jesus loves because he experienced suffering. And a lot of times it's hard for us to enter into other suffering, right? You, you're the priest or Levite walking down the road. It says, Man, that's a, that's a hot mess. I just can't go there, you know? Or kind of conversations, uh, political conversations or conversations about race or ethnicity, right? Where people are expressing pain about injustice, about their own experiences. And we just, you know, I just feel tired. I don't want to deal with it. And we can do that a lot. And as a church, we can avoid it because it's too controversial. Or, right, if I say this, a whole segment of people are going to be like, oh. Right? But we need to step down and see the world and individuals around us with compassion and roll up our sleeves and get down and dirty and actually pick up the, the man, take him, take care of him. Take them to the inn and say, here is my credit card, right? Anything, any cost, anything, take care of this person. And I'll be back if, just in case he needs something more to walk that extra mile, to get dirty, to, to serve and love until it actually hurts and affects us. Um, Hit the next slide. It is actually the renewed dream, um, our mission to become good neighbors. We're renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhood. 
What does it mean to love and be neighbors? What does it mean to come into a culture of isolation and build community, right? And, and uh, so our renewed dream is for people in North Linwood and beyond to experience the grace and mercy of God and to be transformed as images of God. We believe we are given to in order to give away. So we will endeavor to love and serve our neighbors in tangible ways. Um, and then some of our values listed here, um, I think reflect the pieces in the Bible, um, even in the story that we've been talking about. We are relational and authentic community where everyone belongs, or at least we want everyone to belong. Uh, we are passionate about justice and mercy with a heart for the marginalized, refugee, and immigrant. We are a community that values diversity. We desire to be multi-ethnic, intergenerational, and we encourage the diversity of backgrounds within our leadership and our overall church body. And this is a, I think this is a huge dream. Like we're really setting the bar high because even this last one, this just doesn't happen naturally, I don't think. We don't see it often. Right? in the church because just take generational those are the things that separate churches that's why there were worship wars that's why we have different services at different times we have a traditional service we have a contemporary service with rock bands right because it's hard to actually be together intergenerationally right? and multi-ethnic you've heard it all the time Right, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Right? And it's true because we as people have preferences. We have preferences about pastor style, worship style. Right? We have preferences about how we do community, how we sit together, how we even interpret scripture. There are cultural preferences and differences. And so... The, in the church where we need to exp be prophetic and be a witness, right? we struggle almost more than the rest of you know, businesses kind of get things and stuff like that. Almost worse than the people, the community around us. We struggle with this idea of diversity, of true unity and community. And so we want to... We want to strive um, to be good neighbors to one another. And this is what it means for us to be neighbor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you were the greatest neighbor, that you moved in to the, to the neighborhood um, as Lord, Lord God on high. You came down in the flesh to be among us people, um, that that was the greatest act of compassion and love. And you set uh, an example for us, and you called us to be your body, your hands and feet in the world, to move in, to be closer, to draw closer uh, to other people in a world that's suffering, in a world where people are continually feeling isolated and alienated and oppressed and hurt and beaten and ignored.
um, help us uh, to be with people. Help us to recognize our own suffering, our own feelings of loneliness and isolation, and to reach out and to call out. Um, not to be pitied or to pity others, but to receive compassion and to extend compassion and mutuality to one another. In your name we pray, amen.